but the staff has been so gracious, Pastor Tony last week and then Pastor Lindell this week. We've been able to include their entire program and do everything they've wanted to do and still leave a few minutes for the preaching of the Word. I started a series last Sunday entitled The Christ of Christmas. I'm going to take about the next, I don't know, 25 minutes or so, and I'm going to just speak to you a little bit about some of the things that we saw this morning and the message that was portrayed to us today. So if you have a Bible, go to the book of Luke with me, please, today. Luke chapter 1. And I am mindful of the time. I'm mindful of where we are in our time today. And uh, I have scaled back quite a bit this morning. Just going to take a few moments today. And I want to preach a little bit. Luke chapter 1, I'll read verses 30 through 33. You can turn in your Bibles or you can use an electronic device or you can follow on the screen behind me. If you have found that this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that we do around here on a very regular basis when we read the Word of God. I'm going to ask you please and invite you to stand with me this morning if you don't mind. The Word of God is holy today. And I'm holding in my hand, and you're holding in your hand, and you're looking off of this screen this morning, the greatest book to ever be written in the history of the world. It is the Bible. And I'm thankful for the Word of God today. Book of Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. The angel has announced to Mary the birth of the Christ child. I'm going to pick up here in verse 30. Mary has been perplexed. She's had some questions. She was troubled by the salutation of the angel, not sure what it all meant. And here's what verse 30 says. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33 says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Father, for the next few moments of time, God, is, I preach this word and we talk about your son, Jesus. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, heart to receive exactly what you're wanting to do today. And God, here's my prayer this morning. If there's one person today under the sound of my voice that does not have a relationship with your son, Jesus, before this day is over, before these next few moments conclude, I pray they'll make a decision to accept Christ into their hearts. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for what you're going to do in this next moment of time that we have together. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. God bless you this morning. You may be seated quickly. Let me jump right into this just for the next few moments. When we think about and we consider, uh, but let me just tell you this. First of all, I started this series last week. The Christ of Christmas talked about Jesus the baby. This morning, I want to take just a few moments and talk about Jesus the man, and next week, I'll conclude by talking about Jesus the king. But when you stop and you think about and you consider 
this most wonderful time of the year. There is no doubt that we could talk about and we could focus on a number of different things, Brother Turpin. We could talk about the fact that this season has become way too over-commercialized. We could fuss and fume about the fact that they have tried to eliminate Christ from Christmas. We could spend time talking about and even dreaming about, especially if you're a child today, all the wonderful gifts that we're hoping to receive. And most of us in this place this morning could look back and recount and recall and reflect with such fondness all of the wonderful memories that we had as children as we celebrate this wonderful Christmas season. And over the years, as I have read the Christmas story and would prepare to preach about this story, I would always attempt to uncover some of those hidden nuggets that are contained in the Christmas story. And I would want and desire to preach this soul-stirring, very creative message about some of those minor things that are tucked away in the story. I mean, when you stop and think about the Christmas story, there are so many wonderful parts to the story. I mean, you, you have a newlywed couple that is expecting their first child, and the bride is pregnant out of wedlock. You have singing angels. You have scared shepherds. You have an insanely jealous king by the name of Herod. And sweet, innocent babies that are being murdered by this king in his quest to find and to eliminate the baby they call Jesus. The bright star is shining. The gifts are coming. The wise men are worshiping. The cattle are lowing. The baby is crying. And all of heaven is rejoicing. Look in that manger and you find the face of humanity yet clothed in divinity. So wonderful is this scene that one would be hard-pressed to believe that in just 33 short years, this beautiful baby would leave the manger and would become a suffering Savior hanging on a splintered wooden cross and spilling his blood so that all of humanity could be rescued from the evil clutches of sin's power. And we must never forget that the Christmas story has always been and it will always be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am compelled this morning for just the next few moments 
to talk to you about the greatest person to ever grace this planet. He is wiser than Aristotle. He is greater than Gandhi. He is more powerful than Muhammad and he's more gracious than Mother Teresa. And his name is Jesus Christ. J-E-S-U-S. -S. It is all about Jesus. The African-American Baptist pastor, Dr. S.M. Lockridge, who pastored the prominent Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego, California from 1953 to 1993. He preached a message one time entitled, That's My King. In that message, he talked about the greatness of Jesus and the power of Christ. I'd like to share just, a, just an excerpt with you from that sermon. And Dr. Lockridge said the following, and I quote, He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. He said, that's my king. He is God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. Lockridge went on to say that he is honest. He is unique. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. He is supreme. He is preeminent. He went on to say that he's the grandest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He is the, the supreme problem in higher criticism. He would go on to say that he's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. That's my king, he said. He would go on and say, and I am coming to tell you this, that the heavens of heavens can't contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind and you can't get him off of your hands. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Lockridge went on to say that the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him and the witnesses couldn't get their testimony to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. The grave couldn't hold him and death could not handle him. Lockridge said, that's my king. And I've come to tell you today that he was the king back then. He's the king right now. He will always be the king. He is still the king of kings. He is still the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. If you're glad about that, come on somebody today and let's praise the king this morning. Oh, hallelujah. If I had time today... I would tell you about the fact that he came as a baby. According to Luke 2 and 7, it says that she brought forth her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. He came as a baby. He lived as a man according to John 1 and 14. The Bible says, and the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. 
And we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. If I had time today, I'd tell you that he suffered as a Savior, according to Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, where the writer said, Surely he hath borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. We esteemed him smitten, stricken by God, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. If I had time today, I wouldn't only tell you that he came as a baby, he lived as a man, he suffered as a savior, but he is returning as a king, according to Zechariah 14 and 9. The Bible says, And the Lord shall be king over the earth, and it shall be in that day. The Lord is one, and his name is one. And John, the revelator, revelation. 16 and 19 said that when he comes on his robe and on his thigh there is a name written that he is king of kings and that he is lord of lords he came as a baby he lived as a man he suffered as a savior but I'm glad that one day he will indeed return as a king and if you're ready to meet him and your heart has been made right we will rule and reign and live with him for all of eternity and if you're glad about that today come on and praise the Lord. And today, if I had time, I'd unpack for you and talk to you about the wonder of his birth. That it was heralded by an angel. The fact it was so wonderful and what makes it so wonderful is that there was a virgin named Mary who carried in her womb the Christ child. It was conceived of the Holy Ghost. She never knew a man. And do you realize that our salvation is completely dependent upon the fact, Brother Kenny Hancock, that Jesus was virgin born? Because if he was not virgin born, that means that the cross was null and void and it didn't work. Because it is a proven physiological fact that the blood of an infant in the mother's womb, it never intermingles with the blood of the mother. But the main source of that child's blood, it comes from the father. And if Joseph was Jesus' actual father, if he had been conceived of Joseph in Mary's womb, that means the blood that flows through the veins of the Lord Jesus Christ is just normal human blood like yours and like mine. But because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and God was his Father and the blood that courses through his veins is not the blood of a normal human being, but it is perfect blood, that means that the cross Work. That means that the blood that was spilled, it had to be sinless blood. It had to be perfect blood. Because if it was not just like the Levitical priesthood, they would have had to have found a sacrifice. But they didn't need to find a sacrifice because the blood that coursed through the veins of Jesus Christ, it was not the blood of a human father, but it was the blood of God himself. And that's why today I can stand here and I know that when he went to Calvary and he hung there and he died
died and he bled, that tells me today that my sins are forgiven. My sins are washed away because his blood was perfect. Now there are some theologies out there and there are some doctrines out there today that will tell you that Jesus Christ sinned all through his life. There are some things out there that will tell you today that Jesus had an affair with Mary Magdalene. There are even some, 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 some propagation that's out there today that will tell you that Jesus actually had a relationship with his disciples. But I want to tell you every single thing that you've ever heard about that, it is one lie after another because Jesus Christ was perfect. He never knew sin. He never thought about sin. And the only sin that he ever took on him was your sin and it was my sin. And I'm glad today that his blood was unadulterated. His blood was never tainted. It is the blood of a perfect lamb without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. Because of that today, I stand here saved and I have a relationship with him. My sins have been taken care of. If you're glad about that, come on and praise the Lord. I could talk about the wonder of his birth, but just for the next five or ten minutes, let me talk to you about the work of his life. Jesus, the man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, John said. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was a man, human in so many ways, but yet, Brother Turpin, still divine and still perfect. And if you look through the pages of Scripture, I've been teaching on Wednesday nights to our adult class about the miracles of Jesus. The Bible records 35 different miracles that Jesus performed while he was on this earth. But John, the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, he records seven different miracles that Jesus performed while he walked and he lived on this earth as a man. Each miracle contains a message to us today. As a matter of fact, listen, John told us that if that there were so many other things and so many other signs that Jesus performed, that if everything that he did were to be written down, that the world could not contain all the books that would be written. I'm going to take about five minutes right here, and I want to briefly run through these miracles. Miracle number one is found in the book of John chapter 2. Jesus takes water and he turns it into wine by one simple command. A wedding feast that had gone terribly wrong because the wine had run out. The guests were expecting wine and Jesus tells these servants to fill up these stone water pots with water and by one simple command, draw some of this water out now. Take it to the governor of the feast. The water miraculously is going to be turned to wine. And the message behind that miracle is this. Jesus is the answer to man's disappointment. Here's another miracle that takes place in John chapter 4. And there is this royal official who works for the king who has a son that is at the point of death. He comes beseeching Jesus and begging Jesus and imploring Jesus, please come down to my house and heal my son. And Jesus pretty much simply says, you don't need me to come down to your house. 
I'm just going to speak a word, and if you'll believe, I'll take care of it. As the man is on his way back down to his house to check on his sick son, a servant meets him and says, your son lives. And the miracle behind that, the message behind that miracle is this, Jesus is the answer to man's doubt. There's another miracle that's contained in John chapter 5 where Jesus, as man, is walking on this earth and he comes to a place called Bethesda. At Bethesda, there is this pool that has a number of sick folk and blind folk and crippled people laying by that pool waiting for the angel to come down and supposedly stir the water. Whoever gets in first is, is going to be made whole. And Jesus encounters this man with a 38-year infirmity. He had laid beside that pool for 38 years, couldn't walk, couldn't do anything until Jesus came by that day. And by one simple command, Jesus tells the man to get up to walk. And the Bible says the man rose up and he began to walk. For the first time in 38 years, that man walks. And the message behind that miracle is that Jesus is the answer to man's disability. In the book of John, chapter number 6, Jesus is going to gather a, a multitude of people. The Bible says 5,000 men, not including women and children. 20,000 people, they say, gathered on that hillside that day. The night is quickly approaching. The day is, is, is far spent. The people have to go home, but they can't go home hungry. Jesus finds this little boy with five loaves and two fish. And he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, he gives the bread to the disciples. The disciples distribute it to the hungry crowd. And by the time, the, by, by the time that day is done, 12 baskets have been gathered up and a whole multitude of people have been fed and there are leftovers. And the message behind that miracle is that Jesus is the answer to man's desire. Pastor Tony, I want you to come help me please get ready to land this. In that same chapter, there's another miracle. Jesus the man now. Just after that miracle takes place, Jesus puts his disciples in a boat. He tells them to go across to the other side. While they are there in that boat on that sea, this storm comes up. It's a violent storm. It's a horrific storm. Jesus knows that they're there in the middle of that storm. And the Bible says that he came walking to them on the water. Now listen to me. And I'm closing. There's only one person ever walked on water. And it was Jesus. And if I had time today, I would tell you that, that when, when you see him walking on that water, that reveals to us that what's over our head is under his feet. He comes walking on the water. The disciples are afraid. They think it's a ghost and they cry out, oh my gosh, we're going to die. What's going on here? But Jesus calms the storm. And here's the message behind that miracle. Jesus is the answer to man's despair. John chapter 9 Jesus the man walking on this earth in flesh and in blood encounters a blind man born blind from birth the disciples are perplexed and say who did sin this man or his parents that he was born blind and Jesus said nobody sinned here but that the works of God may be made manifest in his life you know, just because something goes wrong in your life, because you're experiencing trouble or heartache, it's not always that you've done something wrong or done something bad. Sometimes life just happens. 
So what does Jesus do? Jesus just doesn't lay his hands on him and says, go see. No, the Bible says that Jesus spits. Everybody say spit. He spit in the dirt. You know, if I was preaching to these kids, I would just tell them Jesus simply hawked up a big old loogie and spit it right on the ground. And when he got done, after he spit, he bends down and he starts stirring it up. Did you kids know Jesus made mud pies? Did you know that? Have your parents read you John chapter 9 when you get home. And he takes the mud that he's created from his own saliva. Now listen, as holy as he was, he was still in flesh and blood. And I don't care who you are, I don't want your spit anywhere near me. And he takes the mud and he smears it across the man's eyes and he says, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash. The Bible said he went and he washed and he came back seeing. And here's the message behind the miracle that Jesus is the answer to man's darkness. And there's one more miracle. And I close with this one. In John chapter 11, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus. And the Bible says Lazarus is dead. D-E-A-D. He's dead. They put Lazarus into a tomb where the turpin, they rolled a stone over the mouth of the, of the grave. And Lazarus was dead in that tomb four days when Jesus finally showed up. Now you read that and sometimes you'll miss the significance of how many days that he was in the grave. Because you realize that the Jewish culture held to a very strong belief that after the third day that a man's spirit left his body and there was no chance for resurrection. I don't believe it's coincidental that he waited one more day just to prove to everybody there this is a bona fide, legitimate miracle. You say three days, nothing can happen. I'll show up on day four. And he comes to the grave of a man four days dead, and he says, roll away the stone. And the crowd says, Lord, he stinks. Please don't do that. He said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'd see the glory of God? And they roll the stone away. And Jesus, the man, the Bible said in that story that Jesus wept. It's the shortest scripture in all the Bible. He wept. Why? Because he was man. He felt what we felt. He hurt when we hurt. He was broken when we were broken. That he was man. God, but still man. And he wept. And then he said this. After the stone was rolled away. He said, and listen, if you read the Bible, there's an exclamation point. He didn't say it quietly. But I believe with power, with boldness, he said, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible said that he who was dead, he came forth out of that grave bound hand and foot in grave clothes. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. I heard one preacher one time, Pastor Tony, say that when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, dead people started coming out everywhere. If he hadn't, if he hadn't used Lazarus' name, they said, you'd have had dead people walking risen from the dead walking around everywhere. That's how much power that he had. He says, Lazarus, come forth and bound hand and foot. The people take the grave clothes off. And that 
message behind that miracle is this. Jesus is the answer to man's death. Now I want to tell you today that he's the answer to your disappointment if you've got some this morning. I'd like to tell you today he's the answer to your doubt that you're dealing with. He's the answer to your disability that you may have. He's the answer to the desire of your soul that you have. He's the answer to your despair. He's the answer to your darkness. He's the answer to your death. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is the answer for the world today. I want you to stand. And we're going to be very brief right here. I want you to bow your heads for a moment, please. I want you to close your eyes today with me. And I'm going to stand here today and I'm going to tell you this is a crazy, chaotic, crisis-filled world that is spinning quickly out of control. And if we have ever needed Jesus, we need Him right now on this day and this time that we're living in. I'm telling you, he's the answer. He's the answer to the terror that this nation, this world is dealing with in the form of ISIS. I want to tell you, he's the answer today to a crazy, messed up 2016 presidential election. He's the answer today. He's the answer to your trouble. He's the answer to your problems. He's the answer to your grief. He's the answer to your guilt today. He's the answer to the, the, the lost state you may find yourself in confused and in a dark place don't have any idea what's going on or what's next in your life Jesus is the answer and with your heads bowed this morning your eyes closed you're here today you say Pastor Gore I hear you talking about Jesus the man I hear the gospel message today about this wonderful man Jesus and all that he's done and all that he can do and Pastor I'm here today and I need some answers in my life and I just would appreciate if you'd pray for me. If you're here today, you'd say, Pastor, I need some answers today. Would you just raise up your hand and put it back down real quickly? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Somebody else, Pastor, I need some answers today. Thank you. You're here this morning. I'm going to ask this now. You're here this morning. And you say, Pastor, I've seen these children present this message today. I've heard you preach the story this morning. I've heard you talk about Christmas and this Jesus as the baby, as the Savior, as the man. And I'm here today, Pastor, and I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I've never invited him into my life. And Pastor, today before I leave here, I want to make things right between me and God. Would you pray for me if that's you? Would you raise up your hand today and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me, please. Is there anybody today? Pastor, that's me today. I need to receive Christ into my life. Pray for me. Just indicate that by raising up your hand real quickly and putting it back down. Is there one person today that would say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me today. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Somebody else, Pastor, I want to receive Christ today. Pray for me. Anybody else? Pastor, that's me. Thank you. I see that hand. Put it down. I see it. Thank you. Somebody else, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus today into my life. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? Pastor, that's me today. Pray for me. And here's what I'm going to ask us to do next. I want everybody to look at me, please, if you don't mind. Just a moment, Pastor Tony, our music pastor, is going to begin to sing. And here's what I'm going to ask today. I don't know, maybe some of you are new, you're not accustomed to doing this, but this is what we, we call an altar call. And Pastor, why, why do we come to the front? Well, it's just a step of faith that just affirms 
the decision that we want to make. It also allows a church family to pray together. So today, if you raised your hand because you need some answers in your life, or you raised your hand because you want to receive Christ, there were a couple of you today. Or maybe you said, Pastor, I wasn't bold enough to raise my hand, but if you'll make a call and everybody will come together, I'll feel a little more comfortable coming. I want to do that today. Then I'm going to, I'm going to make this call for you. But I'm going to ask this morning, if you raised your hand for any reason, now I'm just going to ask today for the Pulaski Church of God family to come together to this altar. We're going to pray a prayer together. And we're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for these folks that raised their hands. I believe the Lord's going to touch us and help us. Pastor Tony, as he begins to sing, I just want all of you that would, and you don't mind, just to join me in this altar this morning.